94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. We have the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green. Woo! Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, um, you know, there's been much talk about uh, hopefully Honolulu edging toward Tier 3 and uh, Mayor Rick Blangiardi talking very hopefully about that. How are you feeling about that? Do you think we're ready for that? We are. How did we earn this? How did, And what do we need to do and look out for in the next week or so to make sure we actually get there? Well, look, it's been a long process of people being very responsible. We We weathered the period of time that came after the holidays. We saw the surge, you know, that kind of came after Christmas, New Year's. Our case counts went up again. Our hospital counts went up again. But everything's come down to earth, and we have not seen a spike of consequence from the Super Bowl, which is good. Mm-hmm. So our seven-day averages have been rock solid. Our positivity rate's at 0.86, which is super-duper crazy low. And our average for case counts is at 43.1. Uh, per day, even lower at statewide, lower, of course, on Oahu. So there's very little COVID right now spreading because people have been responsible. And so Mayor Blangieri is right. We we can, you know, take some additional uh, liberty right now to open the economy and to be more normal. But people still wear masks. I mean, look, no matter what, wear masks until we're fully vaccinated as a state or we, we get herd immunity, because there's no point in you know, having rare exposures and spread. That's just not worth it. So still be careful, but there will be some relaxation. That will mean a little bit more in the way of jobs for people, a little less pressure on people who can't pay their rent. And all those things are, they're, you know, super important. I'm wondering, you know, with the delays, you know, with the winter weather, you know, the immunizations uh, coming in and also I'm seeing reports of more of the variants being you know, discovered here. Are you concerned that this might push us back a little bit? Well, it's, it's something that we have to watch. The third case of the U.K. variant was connected directly. I think it was the spouse of of one of the others. Okay. So that's obviously going to happen. It kind of does a couple things. It makes us uh, recommit ourselves to uh, to contact tracing. That's really important. If you don't contact trace, as we learned in the you know the big surge that we had in July, August, you can doom yourself to an extended high level of cases. And so, yeah, I'm I'm always mindful and worried. But when I report the positivity rate, I do it for a reason. The positivity rate's a reflection of how rapidly it's spreading the cases mm-hmm. and what what percentage of cases per hundred are positive. And we're not seeing spikes like we would if we had, say, a big surge of the UK variant. So that's important to know. I've said a couple times before that each of the variants is like a cockroach. If you see a couple of cases, that means there are more behind, you know, the dresser mm-hmm. and you're gonna have to see them eventually. But the same advice still stands. You wear a mask, you socially distance, and you wash your hands a lot, and you're not going to spread COVID almost at all. You could get unlucky, but now that we're also vaccinating people, and we're now up to 276,603 shots given, pending the new number, which I'm going to guess is going to take us about 285,000 as of this morning. Each, each iteration of extra shots that are given makes it that much more likely that we will keep this thing at bay. So... We'll see over the next few months which of the strains become predominant in the United States and which strains in turn become uh, more predominant in Hawaii. But as we move through the spring, you know, I, I told you, I, you know, I basically promised you we'll get to 350,000 shots around around March 1st. 
we'll get to 600,000 shots now by April 1st and 850,000 shots by May 1st, it's going to be very unlikely that big outbreaks will occur as long as we don't, you know, kind of throw caution to the wind and start having large beach gatherings and stuff like we did in July. Okay. Thank you very much. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here. Speaking of the vaccinations, uh, we know we've heard over the last couple of days with the winter storms, it's been sort of putting a kink into our delivery of the vaccines. Can you give us some behind the scenes? Like, what did you guys have to put in place? Because they just, everybody's just kind of like, don't worry, we got it. (laughs) We'll be okay. You know what I mean? And I'd like to get some details. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we got, so first, the first thing that was a challenge was Monday was President's Day, the celebration of the, you know, the the presidency, notwithstanding (laughs) some of the problems we had these last four years. So President's (laughs) Day was a holiday, so there weren't deliveries, right? Mm -hmm. Which meant that everything was due Tuesday, but that's when the snowstorm was all over the mm-hmm. Northeast and Midwest, Michigan, where I think they produce a lot of this vaccine and so on. So what happened then was the delay started, but we already did have the shipment in the air, the first 10,000, well, 10 trays, 9,750 of the of the shots that we get from Pfizer. We were due to get 20 trays. That second 10 trays is in the air right now, and it may have even touched down uh, this morning or, or tomorrow morning. I, I, I micromanage a lot of stuff, but not that. So mm-hmm. that's coming. So that was all intact. We're not going to lose any of these doses, but the travel time is going to be a little longer for the Moderna shots. There's 27,300 Moderna shots that are, you know, pending and we're going to get them, but I don't know if we're going to get them before Monday because they had a lot of trouble with shipping to everywhere, not just to us. Mm-hmm. So we were also due to get 53,000 total vaccinations next week. And I, I presume that this storm won't last forever and that we will get those. So it's it's more likely than not that we're going to get our 53,000 53, due next week and those 27,000 Moderna shots. So we will probably get about 80,000 total total doses into the state. That will take us just up against 400,000 total doses in state by next Thursday. We, like I said, we're at probably 285, 285,000 shots given. And we did have a cushion of about thirty-five to 40,000 sh- uh, doses spread out across the state. But there are a lot of people scheduled for second shots. And so we need to get all of this vaccine in. There are going to be moments like this. I know that there were some, some cancellations. I really should say uh, they will reschedule people. And I don't want people to worry because six to eight weeks, you have that much grace period after getting your first shot without having any negative consequence. In other words, your body will still produce a powerful immune response, even if it goes a couple weeks after. So people should not fret, although I want them to get the second shot now because that's how you go from 52% immunity up to 95% immunity. Mm-hmm. And that's very important because that's how we you know, keep people alive. Okay. All right. Thank you. Sir, can you talk about now level 1C for the vaccines? Because we've been in 1B, you know, with the uh, frontline workers and the Kupuna 75 and up. And a lot of people are eager to see vaccines move into level 1C, which is Kupuna 65 and up, I believe, and other essential workers. That's a huge group. I think that's about 400,000 people here in Hawaii who would become eligible next. Can you update our listeners on when that's going to start and what is going to be the priority order? within 1C? Yes, I can. So uh, pending some final you know, approvals by Director of Health, who's doing a very good job, and she was just texting me minutes ago, in a couple weeks, probably about two weeks, we should be able to begin to push into the 1C category with some rigor. 
it looks to me like we're going to do the following. And this is what we've advised and what she seems to be high on. We're going to go backwards in age, first of all. I would say in five-year increments. So first we'll drop down to 70, then we'll drop down to 65. There's 146,000 individuals, I'll say Kupuna, uh, between the ages of 65 and 74. So we'll go backwards in that way. We will also begin to do people with chronic disease who are the most vulnerability. The, the decisions are being made about which specific diseases are the most worrisome. But I can tell you that there does seem to be consensus now that the following are the, are the most worrisome uh, uh, chronic diseases. And that is being oxygen dependent. If people have lung problems that actually require oxygen, that is a big problem if you catch COVID. So that's one. Being on dialysis, that's another. And being uh, in the throes of treatment for cancer with chemotherapy, that's the third one. Those are the three most uh, risky disease states that people can have. And those will be prioritized, it appears, in the 1C category as we push through the first part of 1C. So it'll be 70 to 74. It will be people with these serious diseases. It will also be then next uh, 65 to uh, 70. And then we will get into all the rest of the large number, like you said, the three to 400,000 people who have other disease states that are not quite as severe but need to be vaccinated. As we push through that, and it'll be more aggressive because we'll be getting closer to 250, between 250 and 275,000 vaccination doses a month. We'll push right through that, and then we'll be able to, be able to open up really wide. Looks like May to me uh, mm. for people that have almost no risk and are younger. You know, I'll say the numbers again. By March 1st, we should touch 350,000. By April 1st, 600,000 doses. And by May 1st, 850,000 doses. And when we meet those milestones, all of a sudden, you can expect that unless there's a big outbreak of some strain that we don't anticipate, mm -hmm. and we'll be checking for it, that we'll be getting pretty safe. Uh, we won't be all the way through the thing, but I'll tell you, there will be little reason to uh, avoid gatherings. There will be little reason to have significant restrictions other than the smart ones, wearing masks still and socially distancing. Mm, okay, thank you very much. Lieutenant Governor, I want to turn to a couple questions we got off of Facebook. Uh, one from Melissa Redforce. Uh, she says, are there any vaccines being unused at the mass vaccination sites? Um, and is there a waiting list to make sure no vaccines are wasted? Uh, virtually none. They've backed away from having waiting lists because what they're doing is they're just following them throughout the day and really keeping a tight lid on it. I, there might be a handful, as I've said a couple times before, you know, talking three or five doses. And I think that they do have people that have reached out to them uh, who miss their appointments, who get called to come back in. There are there are really rare opportunities like that. I would not I don't think people should bank on that because it's such a long shot. And, and it's it's very hit or miss, you know, so much better to just sign up and not miss one's appointment. Uh, if you do miss your appointment, they will, of course, sign you up again. But uh, mm -hmm. I know that that can be frustrating, too. So uh, not much there. There actually has been even a more restrained just this week uh, capability because they had to be super careful not to have any extra doses going um, unused, given how many people, you know, at some of the sites they had to just postpone you know not a lot but i think the kcc site had to postpone a day the queen's folks consolidated uh their midweek vaccinations to saturday again remember it's fine to get it several weeks after uh even though you were scheduled three weeks out from the pfizer if you get it five weeks out doesn't make any difference at all 
so there's been that kind of consolidation. Uh, so if that happens more in the future, if we end up having a big surplus of vaccine, you know, as we get into the, the mid-spring, then I think we're going to be posting like walk-in times. I mean, that would not surprise me at all once mm. we really get to a, a surplus moment or when the pharmacies have a lot more. I, I don't know if I mentioned it to you guys, but uh, we were expecting only 4,400 doses over the course of a three-and-a-half-week period to the CVSs. That got up to 4,400 doses per week, and that's for oh. our Kukuna and their so that's, that's helping us push through the 75-plus category a lot faster. Mm. Uh, so getting these extra 4,400 4, doses a week is a really great thing. Awesome. Thank you for that update. Sir, since uh, we are talking about vaccines, we have another question. What percentage of people are fully immunized? In other words, they've had both their shots versus only one shot. Yeah, that's a great question. It's about two out of three. Uh, so about a third of the people are in the still in the one-shot zone, the one-shot category, and two out of the three have gotten both shots. So see if I can do this math. Uh, it, well, it's not that complicated, actually. So probably about 105,000 people or some such number have gotten both shots. That would mm-hmm. take us about 210,000 of the doses given. And then something maybe like 65,000 people or so are probably around in the second shot, uh, which that, that helps if you think about it because that means – there's still about 65,000 outstanding shots that need to still be done to complete that category. And meanwhile, we're getting first and second doses in from the federal government. So we are moving forward and making progress. Of course, as you reflect on why we chose to do Kupuna, uh, especially those who live in nursing facility first, it's because by getting both shots, you essentially not only make them immune, but you decrease the possibility that they're going to land in the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's why the hospital numbers have been going down real fast. The, the single first shot is quite good for, you know, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, if for whatever reason that's going to be their, their decision. I still want everyone to get both shots of these things when time comes. Uh, but when you get to the Johnson Johnson, which only has 66 to 72% uh, you know, immunity that people are, are given, that's going to be terrific for lower-risk people overall because it also is preventing 100% of hospitalizations and severe disease. So what will happen will be, let's say we're going to be sitting on May 1st, and we'll be talking that day about the 850,000 shots we've given. At that point, it's probably going to have been about 700,000 will be the the two-step shots. That'll be 350,000 people completed, Mm -hmm. and 150,000 who got the Johnson & Johnson are done. And so that's 500,000 individuals vaccinated by giving 850,000 shots. Uh, And you can see that that will have a very positive impact because we're only expecting to probably vaccinate a total of 900,000 people. And then you set aside the 200,000 or so children who may or may not even need to be vaccinated. We haven't made the final decision on that. And that's when you start talking about being a safe state. So we're going to rapidly move to a significant amount of safety come May 1st. Won't be totally done, but, you know, hopefully we'll be able to talk about other stuff. Other than COVID. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to spending some time with you talking about economic uh, recovery mm-hmm. and yeah, definitely. solutions and, you know, maybe baseball. I don't know, something. Yeah. And actually, yeah, we'd, we'd like that to happen, too, because then you actually might be here in the studio with us. That'd be something. Cool. We'll, yeah. We'll be hugging. Yes. Yeah, and hopefully <laughs> I won't have to do math again because that one made me dizzy. That last question. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Lieutenant Governor, we have a lot of listeners on Maui, and uh, Jane Martin, who lives there, is asking about uh, more access and more locations for the vaccine. She says there's nothing on the west side, upcountry, um, Hana, or south side. You know, I, I don't want to, you know, dodge a question. I, I just really have to defer to the mayor and the council on that, you know, on that kind of an mm-hmm. issue. I'm going to do a story with uh, the council chairwoman on the 23rd, so I'll, you know, I'll be kind of studied up on that, but. Right now, because we haven't been able to accelerate lots of new pods, it's a little, you know, it's a little difficult for me to know when they're going to go up country. Mm-hmm. So right now, most people are in the right age category, what have you, are driving down to town. I do know that we are setting up a pod over in Kihei. That's something that we had discussed a while back. Uh, so I think it, it is necessary. The Department of Health is keen on some mobile uh, capacity where they'll take a, you know, a van up and have five or six people just do a mobile site. That may very well happen up country, but I, you know, I kind of have to just uh, defer to to Mayor Victorino on that because I don't want to give any bad information. Okay, thank you very much. We understand, um, sir. Wanted to shift to the the issue of um, that extension for the Safe Travels program um, because of that winter, just the crazy winter conditions happening on the mainland and people getting stuck. Uh, there are a bunch of people who are in you know in Texas and on the mainland from Hawaii who are stuck up there and cannot get testing or cannot get flights out. And then you know the uh, there's that short window uh, of time that they have to get a test so that they can get on a plane and come to Hawaii. Can you explain what's happening with that temporary extension now? Yes. Um, General Haro was very uh, thoughtful about this. So they did extend an extra 24 hours because, you know, a lot of people are having 10 and 12 hour uh, delays. And so we're not going to be too prudish about that. If someone had their test and they, they lose a the whole day because they're stuck at an airport. So we'll give a day, an extra day of um, grace period because we don't want people also taking a risk going out in the storm. And their risk has not increased uh, appreciably by by being stuck, usually socially distanced from others. You know, we're also sending the message, please, you know, if you are stuck at an airport, continue to wear a mask and and you might be in close proximity to others. But we haven't seen a lot of risk. And we can probably offer some additional testing for people when they get here, uh, return home if they're worried. But they'll they'll have that extra 24 hours. And uh, we'll just keep revisiting that in case the storms uh, persist. But I think that the storms are starting to let up. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, uh, another question off of Facebook from uh, Bedusha Nikolai. I have rheumatoid arthritis and two other autoimmune diseases. I take biologics to suppress my immunity. Will I have to take more shots of the vaccine? Uh, not more shots, I don't believe. Although an individual who has some immune uh, deficiencies or immune problems should probably get their antibodies checked every three months after getting the vaccine to make sure that they've been able to sustain the antibody response. There will be guidance on boosters, and those booster shot guidances will include people who not just the time has decreased their antibody loads uh, in their body, but also their actual immune system. So I wouldn't be surprised if, like, every six months a person in that circumstance needs to get a booster, but we also don't want to overdo it. It looks like it's going to be good for a year, but we'll only know once we've had a few months under our belt to, to assess this. Okay. Thank you. Um, Lieutenant Governor, got to shift a little bit because there's been some talk about that bill that has been moving through the House calling for Lieutenant Governors to hold only one job. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to get to that. Yeah, one. I was wondering. I, I, you know, we, we would be remiss if we didn't address this <laughs> and, and, and ask the Lieutenant Governor what he thought of this, sir. 
Okay. Well, let's see. Um, <laughs> first of all, uh, you know, apparently they're saying that the bill wouldn't start until after, uh, after this term of said lieutenant governor. So I guess they're, you know, they're probably going to start it for the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me be very clear. What I've had to do, of course, is always put being lieutenant governor first. That's always the case. And, uh, you know, I'm a better lieutenant governor for being a physician. I would say, especially because we've had a global pandemic, which Mm -hmm. comes as an outrageous coincidence. But uh, I have always been a doctor for Hawaii. That's what brought me to Hawaii with the National Health Corps. I did make sure that I worked uh, only when I'm on my own time two weekends a month. And I still, as you know, spend 10 or 12 days being lieutenant governor while I'm at the hospital. I'm constantly doing these things. So I, I would say, first of all, that's the basics. And I think it's been an honor to be a doctor. I'm always going to be a doctor, and that's not going to change. Now, one should ask themselves why suddenly they want to pass a bill when they didn't try that with dear friends of mine, like Senator Senator Schatz, then Lieutenant Governor. They didn't try this. Shan Tsutsui, Doug Chin, Duke Iona. Going back, I suppose, Ben Cayetano, all these Lieutenant Governors, Maisie Hirono, they never had any interest in doing it before. And so apparently Ms. Bellotti has some desire to do it now. I would just say this. If someone's a teacher and a lieutenant governor, let them teach. If someone is, uh, you know, an emergency room physician and can help out in a shortage area on the big island on their own time, rather than me going and trying to lay in the sun, you know, on some weekend, that's probably better. Uh, But they're welcome to call the sponsor of that bill and weigh in. I don't mind. You know, I think it's good to have... uh, participant democracy she definitely hates me and that's unfortunate because i don't hate anybody but i would say this we all should be contributing to the society that we have and love the best we can so if i'm chosen as governor everyone under the sun knows i'll probably run uh and if i'm chosen i've already decided what i'm going to do and it's appropriate i'm going to volunteer at homeless shelters and do street medicine so that i can still help out Mm -hmm. You know, it's not about the job. It's about helping others. And I would say to the legislator who decided this would be her priority, maybe she ought to prioritize dealing with the COVID crisis and saving lives that way instead of some strange fixation on me. But look, it's all love. I'm going to still help people however I can. Mm hmm. All right. Okay. Thank you. There you go. (laughs) That is that is what I expected he would say. And and (laughs) it's not the first time that such a such a bill has been. Yeah. 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 So uh, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. We'll let you know how that works out. Boy, it's okay. It's it's been an honor to be a doctor and a lieutenant governor, and no one should cry a tear for me ever. But uh, everyone out there, if you can help out in some way, it's great. And you know what? A lot of people in Hawaii have two jobs by the way. Don't forget that. I really feel for the people that are having to bust their butts with two, three, four jobs. And that's just one of our realities. But it does also make us special. And I hope, I hope that I've been a special lieutenant governor for people. And, you know, time will tell. But we're going to keep at this job and, and do it as well as we can. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> lieutenant Governor, I'm going to go uh, back to the questions we got on Facebook. Uh, someone is asking uh, Sonora Rager is asking whether internet uh, inter-island travel is going to get easier. She says, not everyone has money for tests and wants to see family. Do you foresee a time where if you're local, you're not going to have to get tested in order to travel back and forth? 
Absolutely. I'm now openly um, lobby- lobbying internally for us to uh, begin to back away from uh, any pretest for inner island travel. The positivity mm-hmm. rate has been almost the same for each of the islands. We've been very safe. The single exception is uh, Kauai, which has had utterly low to almost no cases, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. um, that's been a, a, just a decision made between the leadership of Kauai with, and the governor, which is fine. It's cool. You know, so that's a little bit of an outlier. But there's no reason to have any kind of uh, testing between Oahu, Big Island, Maui, and whatnot any longer because the rates are not, they're not uh, meaningfully different. So we should jettison that as soon as we can. And also, as people are vaccinated, obviously, if they're vaccinated, they should not have to pretest. So as you know, I've put that policy uh, advice forward to the governor, and over time they will finalize that. It's in the emergency proclamation now. We just have to get the details straight on how we'll verify it. From my position, looking at someone's vaccination card with their name and signature on it should be satisfactory. We'll probably also digitize that with some help from a company. So that's important because we have to reunite our families. We have to be able to be with our loved ones. Some of us have brothers or sisters or parents that live on other islands. So we have to get them back together and it's safe now. And then come about May, we should use this definitely for mainland travel to the United States. If people are vaccinated plus two weeks, they're immune. They still wear masks, but they are very safe travelers then. And look, I I hope that people now see that we were correct about safe travels and that program worked I think that it's going to be completely safe, and we should use these kind of scientific analytic models to move forward. It's not easy uh, to get some of this stuff operationalized, but it's very important because of that caller, because she is absolutely right. She should be able to see her family, and it should not be contingent on whether or not she and her other four relatives have the 120 bucks necessary to fly. Mm -hmm. That's more expensive than the plane ticket. Mm -hmm. So. You know, this is time for people to have real help. This is time, for example, for uh, the legislature to focus on real people's needs as opposed to every once in a while kicking me in the you-know-what. And so I would tell you, we are really still struggling to get back to normal, and that's where my focus is going to be. But each day we're going to get a little closer to that policy. Each day we're going to get a little closer to full vaccination status in our state. And each day we're going to see more normal things. You'll sooner or later see sports return. You'll sooner or later see graduations, which we're working on, become a reality. People's jobs will be restored because the hotels will, will necessarily open up with fewer tourists, which is good, but still tourists nonetheless. So all these things are in the works. And it's, you know, look, it's a personal honor to work on it with so many people. But let's keep our eye on the ball, guys, here. There are some really big decisions that have to be made, and that's in advance of major restructuring of our economy, which I'll be happy to help on, too. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor. I had been hearing rumblings that, indeed, you mentioned graduations, that um, is it correct you are pushing for in-person graduations this year? You think that's possible? It is possible, and and I am pushing for it. The, the model that we're about to propose is some version of the following that we allow for graduations in person that individuals would hopefully only bring or would be asked to only bring two of their significant family members to the graduation with them. The people would be masked, that lays would go from family to the, the graduate rather than from strangers to the graduate, and that we spread out uh, in a very sensible, uh, socially distanced way. Um, and that 
we probably keep kissing to a minimum in this particular case. We can kiss a lot in the fall. So <laughs> that's the big premise and probably do it at some large venues and even seek some philanthropic su- support for some some of these larger venues if necessary financially. But that's the overall approach. Uh, let me give a little bit of a shout out just so people know it's not all partisan stuff. Uh, Representative McDermott came to me with some good ideas and that was very thoughtful of him with one of his uh, community members. Um, a couple of the, the Democratic reps have also been in my ear saying really smart things about getting uh, graduations going. And Senator Schatz has been pushing me very hard to get the schools open in general. And that's also going to be reflected, I would imagine, with graduation ceremonies. So these are important things. And a lot of people are working on them. May is about as soon as you could expect under any circumstance to have larger gatherings. So it's right at the edge. All right. Got it. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, sir. Have a great weekend. Take care.